Once again, our nation is dealing with racism, riots, and violence over the shooting of a young, unarmed black man. 18-year-old Michael Brown was killed during a confrontation with an officer. Out in Ferguson, Missouri, the police department in St. Louis suburb, in the St. Louis suburb, where a man was shot and killed, is asking protesters to gather only during daylight. There's been such violence and looting, and the shooting is still under investigation, and there's been all kinds of problems going on surrounding what appears to be a white officer shooting an unarmed black young man. The news report says that uh, the Ferguson city leaders have been trying to do their best to calm the tensions. Police have been dealing with riots and issues. A statement that they released said, we are working to restore confidence in the safety of our community and our neighborhoods so that we may begin the healing process. The release blames the previous violence on people who transformed peaceful protests into violent demonstrations, which police say is not indicative of the city or its residents. Hundreds of residents packed two churches Tuesday evening for community meetings about the death of Michael Brown, who was confronted by a Ferguson officer while walking with a friend in the street near his grandmother's home. People also gathered in the streets Tuesday night shouting at police. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported that police again fired tear gas into a crowd. One person was injured in a drive-by shooting, although it was not clear if the shooting was related to the protests. The Post-Dispatch also reported that a St. Louis County police officer shot and critically wounded a man who authorities said pulled a handgun on the officer. Now, if you've been watching any of this on the news, you know that the sights and sounds, the videos and reports coming out of Ferguson are surreal at best. There's anger, there's violence, there's uh, looting, there's all kinds of chaos going on. The report goes on to say that the fatal shooting of Brown has exposed deep racial and economic fault lines in the community. Another church rally featured Reverend Al Sharpton. And of course, that's always a wonderful thing to have Reverend Al Sharpton on the scene. I'm sure he'll bring a very balanced and honest and sincere perspective to the whole situation. I say being sarcastic. These rallies were being uh, held at churches. At one church gathering with dozens of clergy members and elected officials, Missouri Governor Jay Nixon urged calm in the face of crisis. When I was reading this news article, I couldn't help but wonder why they don't seem to gather over the outrageous high statistics of black-on-black crime. How come they don't seem to have these rallies at their churches for crack and drugs and alcoholism that plagues the black community? I couldn't help but wonder why they don't seem to hold these rallies at churches over the inordinate amount of young children or children that are born to young women out of wedlock. I couldn't help but wonder why they don't hold these rallies at churches to take a stand against the violent 
and misogynistic rap music that has plagued the black community. I guess only a white officer shooting a black unarmed man, that's the only problem that the black community has. The news report states that several hundred protesters rallied Tuesday morning in the county seat of Clayton, urging St. Louis County County's prosecutor to file criminal charges against the Ferguson officer. Doesn't matter whether he's guilty or not. Doesn't matter what the investigation turns up or not. File charges. Arrest him. Brown's father, Michael Brown Sr., said at the news conference to come together and do this right. No violence. President Barack Obama also urged calm, saying people must comfort each other in a way that heals, not in a way that wounds. Now, the race riots or the uh, injustice riots that are taking place in Ferguson, Missouri, Missouri, are the backdrop for what I want to speak to you about under this podcast. The fact of the matter is, The most horrible thing you can be accused of in today's society is being a homophobic or racist. I mean, you can beat your wife, you can be a fornicator, a murderer, a pedophile, you can do just about anything you want to do, but for God's sake, whatever you do, don't dare be a racist. Now, mind you, Your actions in the area of race are not what matter. It doesn't matter what you actually do. What only matters is what you think. That's the way the thought police in our society works. You can give millions to the NAACP, but if your private thoughts are in the least bit racist, you run the risk of being run through the mud worse than some pedophiles are. The Sterling case in the NBA proved that to be the case. It didn't matter what the man's actions were. He was recorded in a private moment with private thoughts in the privacy of his own home. And therefore, no matter what his actions might have been, he has been run through the mud for his own personal beliefs. Whether you disagree or agree with the man makes no difference. The man should have the right to believe and feel the way he wants to feel without being punished and destroyed by society. I find it so interesting that somebody like Ray Rice can literally knock his girlfriend out. And that is somehow brushed aside because he's a famous running back for a football team. But the NFL and the media will go out of its way to make sure that a man who tweets about his personal feelings about homosexuality, as in the case of the Miami Dolphin player, now he has to go to re-education training. He has to be re-educated in the way that he thinks. No, not Ray Rice. No, they'll slap him on the back of the hand. But knocking your wife, your girlfriend stone cold out, well, that's just part of being an NFL player. But don't you dare be a racist. Don't you dare be a homophobic. You see, something's upside down with the world that you and I live in. It's called in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Deceived and Being Deceived. Now, there's probably no greater deception socially and politically, and I would even say possibly spiritually, on the horizon of our nation, than when it comes to the issue of racism. The riots that are taking place in the Midwest, in Ferguson, are despicable. They're unexcusable, 
and despicable. And though what I'm about to say will no doubt brand me as a racist, I think it's important that we start standing up and speaking our mind and speaking out the truth. Now, folks, I don't know all the facts of the case. Whether or not this young man was shot in a justifiable way, I don't know. I don't know, and neither do you. The facts have not all been brought to light. And I believe the facts should be brought to light. And if the young man was shot unjustly, then criminal charges should be filed against the officer. We have a right to have truth brought to light. We have a right to have our police officers return to a position of protecting and serving. And they need to be demilitarized. They need to be less SWAT and more protect and serve. I'm all for that. And if something was done wrong, if something was done amiss, I'll be the first one at the front of the line that says, let justice be done till the stars fall. Whether or not it was a justified shooting of this young black man, I don't know. But I do know this, that the response of many, not all, but many in the black community is horrible, sinful, tribal, barbaric, and unjustified. You do not take a moral stand against a wrong and unjustified and unlawful shooting by looting Walmart and liquor stores and local businesses. I am not the biggest fan of Martin Luther King by any stretch of the imagination, but I dare say that Martin Luther King would never have accepted this kind of filthy, mob, violent behavior. I am shocked when I turn on the video and the news and see the way that our police are conducting themselves, being forced to conduct themselves as a paramilitary organization, it scares me for the future of our country. It scares me to think of more civil unrest leading to more Big Brother and to more power grabs by our local police and even by the federal government. But I'm going to tell you something. One of the most awful things that scares me is the barbaric, violent behavior of these young black males that are not seeking for justice, that are not seeking for righteousness. They are using this situation to vent their violence, to vent their ugliness. These black males, for the most part, are jobless, moralless, careless, fatherless, and self-centered. They have lived on a diet of violent rap music, ghetto culture, baby mamas, and self-pity politics. There are some that are seeking for honest answers. There are some that are seeking for justice. But much of the violence and much of the protests that we see are not people longing and sacrificing, looking for what is right. In many instances, what we are seeing is a predator mentality. They are predators that are using a situation in tragedy to prey on the helpless and the weak. They assume guilt, where our country has been built on innocent until proven guilty. They have no respect, absolutely zero respect, for the justice system. A system, I remind you, which fought and shed white blood for black freedom. The Civil War was fought. And even during the civil rights movements of the early and mid to late 60s, 
it was not just black people that stood, but there were many white people that were willing to take their stand, go to jail, be pepper sprayed, be beat over the head for the freedom of their fellow man, and rightfully so, rightfully so. But what we are seeing today is a far cry from Martin Luther King and the marches of the 60s. What we're seeing today is ghetto mob violence with no respect for the justice system, with no respect for the process of justice, with no respect whatsoever for the very fabric and core of what brings liberty and justice to our nation. What right, or what rights, I should say, does the black man not have today in America? You can't change the way people think, nor are we supposed to. If my neighbor wants to be racist, as long as Thomas Jefferson said, like Thomas Jefferson said, as long as he doesn't pick my pocket or break my leg, what is that to me? If a man wants to live in his own ignorance and his own hatred and his own racism, let him be. I can't change the way he thinks. He doesn't have a right to structure the institutions of society to suit his beliefs. But you can't change the way that a person thinks. But I ask you, what rights does the black man not have in America? Can he not drink from the same water fountain that I drink from? Can he not go to the same college that I go to? Does he not have the same opportunity and rights that I have as a white man in America? Why, of course he does. What injustice does he face that is so criminal, so inhumane, that violence and thuggery is the only option? What has America not done to provide an equal footing for all men, black and white, brown and yellow? All men have an opportunity of success in this nation. And I'm not saying that it's a perfect country. But I dare say that there are more freedoms and more equality for the black man here in America than there is anywhere else on the face of this earth. Certainly more so for the black man here in America than in Africa. Certainly more so for the black man here than in the Middle East. Name me another country. Name me another society as free and as equal as the United States of America. You see, the fact of the matter is, rights and justice are not what these riots are about. Tribal, third world, barbarianism is what we are seeing on display. Now, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Have you taken the time to read the news reports and see the situation of many countries and many areas in the African continent? Look at Liberia, Nigeria, the Sudan, Somalia. Look at these places and see the horrific condition in which they live. And then look at Detroit, L.A., Miami, and many of the other inner cities in America. Only those who are more afraid of being called a racist than of speaking the truth could deny the cold reality staring them in the face. And that is that we have transplanted into our society and into the very fabric of the black culture a barbaric mentality that is self-consumed, self-pitiful, and self-justifying. The black culture that used to be steeped richly in a spiritual heritage 
of walking with God and calling upon God and depending upon God no longer produces great preachers and great freedom leaders, but produces Al Sharpton, Jay-Z, and Beyonce. I don't understand. I'm being honest here. I don't understand why more honest, kind, good black Americans aren't furious at the culture that has grown up around them. Why are they not mad that there are so many fatherless children in the inner cities and in the ghettos and in their own culture? Is that the fault of the white man? Is that the fault of society? Why are not more black uh, Americans furious at the hypocrisy of people like Jay-Z? People like Jay-Z and so many others that glorify the ghetto life, violence, drugs, sex, perversion. They glorify it in their songs and glorify it in their videos. They make money on it. Then when they make their money on it, they escape and get out of that garbage. Then they make more money by selling that stuff right back to the same ghetto that they got out of. Do you think Jay-Z and Beyonce lived the ghetto life? Do you think they live that way now? And yet they make their records glorifying that. Beyonce doesn't make a record and video that glorifies the beauty and the wonder of the young black lady's mind. She strips herself half naked and parades herself around on the stage and on the video as an object of sex and desire. Jay-Z doesn't rap about hard work, honesty, decency, character. He raps about the ghetto life. Something's wrong. When did sex and thugs and gangs and baby mamas and fatherless kids and pregnancy and self-pity become the national pastime for the black family? Al Sharpton and the black leaders don't truly care about the black people. That's bullcrap of the highest order. If he cared about the black community, he would be in Chicago where it's a, a living war zone every weekend. He would be in L.A. He would be in Miami. He would be in Tampa. He's not. He's a shark, a piranha, a blood-sucking leech like many of those leaders. They wait until the case comes up like George Zimmerman or Michael Brown out in Ferguson, Missouri. They fly in, try to get their face plastered on the news. They use the black community and the crisis that is facing black families. They use it as a way to bolster their own selves, their own, um, uh, their, their own money, their own reputation. They're not helping the black community. They're not taking a stand. Where are the black fathers? Where are the black mothers? Where is the character of an entire group of people? Where is that character? You can only blame white America for so long until eventually you have to do what the old Sunday school song says. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You're the one having the children out of wedlock. You're the one glorifying the drug culture. You're the one rapping about violence against the women. It is not society it is your mothers and your fathers and your children. It is your own community that is at risk. 
but it's much easier to blame one incident with one officer and one young black man than an entire generation of people that have washed their character and soul down the drain. It just doesn't make sense. What about Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom? Have you ever heard of those names? Hmm? Have you? I bet you probably haven't. If you're daring, and you don't have to eat anytime soon, you ought to read the story of Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom. A beautiful young couple. A beautiful young couple. Abducted. Raped. Tortured. Murdered. At the hands of black men. Two young, beautiful white people in the prime of their life. And when you read the story and you read what happened to them, it's the most awful, disgusting, violent things you could possibly imagine. Let me ask you something. Did you hear of any riots in the suburbs over the murder of Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom? Did you? Did you hear of any riots in the streets? When was the last time you heard of riots in the white, the Asian, the Hispanic community? Please tell me, when? And why not? Have they not experienced any crimes? Any injustices? Any angering issues? You see, something's wrong in the black culture. The black culture has been infected. It's been used. It's been lied to. It's been abused. And we are reaping the violent, tribal, barbaric ugliness in our inner cities that has been allowed to spring up in an otherwise beautiful people. And this kind of mentality has not just stopped at the doors and the gates of the black community. This kind of violent ugliness is infecting our entire society. The fact of the matter is, black men, white men, all men should be standing side by side, arm in arm together for decency, for justice, for God-given rights. If the police are wrong, deal with it. If the man shot him wrongly, deal with it. But robbing liquor stores and Walmarts and breaking windows, that's not the way to find justice. For every young black man that may be innocently shot by a police officer, how about the hundreds and thousands of young black men that are shot by other young black men? How about that crime? How about the crime against an entire generation of children that are being born to children? Mothers having two and three and four and five babies with no future, no home, no education, no nothing but, but absolute squalor, hopelessness, handed down generation after generation. It's a cyclical issue of children begetting children begetting children with no father in the home, no husband in the home. Why aren't we standing side by side? 
The black culture has been failed. That is true. Black people have been failed, but not by the white man. They have been failed by their own leaders. Pastors have failed to stand against the tide of sin in their own community. Not all. There's some good men of God, no doubt, in the black community that preach. But the overwhelming truth of the matter is, is that far too many black pastors are involved in politics and are infected themselves with a progressive attitude, buying into the same lies that the common man in their community believes. I wonder what would have happened over the last 25 or 30 years if black preachers in their communities had preached against fornication as hard as they preached against racism. My brother, I've got news for you. Racism is not what is destroying the black community. A white officer that possibly shot an unarmed black man wrongly, that's not destroying the black community. What's destroying the black community is fornication, drugs, fatherlessness, sin. It is not from the outside, but it is the cancer and the disease from within that is destroying the black culture. Her pastors have failed her. Political leaders have failed to stand for liberty. Instead, they have trained their people to wait for handouts, to be dependent, and most of all to blame others for their own self-designed ills and struggles. Stars and entertainers and artists have failed to send home to their communities a message of hope and hard work and decency. Instead, they make money by fueling the propaganda of the ghetto life. And fathers, males make babies. Fathers raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I won't be surprised to see more and more and more of this kind of racial tension growing. I believe as Christians we have to pray. I believe as a church we have to preach and reach the community. And I believe as an individual and as a nation, we better start preparing. Because we're going to see more and more of this kind of thing. There is a storm gathering. And it's going to gather and it's going to build. And it's not going to stay in these big cities for long. It's going to come to your town, any town, USA. I think one of the greatest tragedies that we're going to see coming out of this is twofold. First of all, when all is said and done and the dust is settled, the black community in Ferguson will be no better off after everybody has left and moved on than they were before the issue. Sharpton and all the black leaders and President Obama and all of them will have their say and have their speeches. They'll have their candlelight visuals. They'll make their big statements. They'll take their stands. Maybe somebody will go to jail. Maybe somebody won't. But when the dust is settled a year from now, they'll still be the unwed mothers There'll still be the children with no fathers. There'll still be the drugs rampant, the alcoholism rampant. There'll still be the ghetto life. Unless those men and women and those leaders in their own community take personal responsibility for the sin and the cancer in their own lives, 
This whole situation will be for naught, and the community will be just as bad as it was before, only they'll have one, black, uh, one white officer to blame. I'll tell you what I think is an even greater danger systemically. The greater danger is that as these civil unrests, these civil riots begin to take place, the federal government and local governments are going to react. They're going to react. And they're going to react with martial law and violence and governmental power that is sweeping and unconstitutional. I mean, quite frankly, when you look at the videos and you watch the news and read the reports, Ferguson, Missouri, for all intents and purposes, is basically under military occupation right now. As the economy falls apart, as our culture falls apart, as our morals and character fall apart, people are going to become more angry, they're going to become more selfish, they're going to become more frustrated, more self-consumed, and the reality is there are going to be more incidents of civil unrest, just like what we see going on in Ferguson. And what will happen is that the federal government and our local military police, which are overly militarized anyway, are going to seek to make sure that they quell these uprisings, and they're going to do so at the risk of your personal liberties. They're going to do so at the cost of the Constitution. They're going to do whatever they have to do to stop the violence. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to wake up one of these mornings and find that we went to sleep in the United States of America, and we woke up under martial law in America. And if you don't think it can happen overnight and happen real quick, then you are deluded and deceived and you have no idea how quick things are moving. I mean, the more you see this civil unrest, the more you're going to see the militarized police respond quickly to stamp it out. And it's very difficult to, to blame them in some ways. When your homes are being invaded by rioters, when stores are being invaded by rioters, what are you supposed to do? Well, I think you arm the store owners and arm the homeowners. But the reality is, right now, the police in the United States of America have reached an unprecedented level of militarization. There's a report that says since 2006, according to an analysis by the New York Times, police departments have acquired 435 armored vehicles. Not the Marines, not the Army. Police departments with armored vehicles. They have 533 planes, almost 94,000 machine guns, 432 mine-resistant armored trucks. What in the world does the police need mine-resistant armored trucks for? They know something's coming that we don't. The report goes on to say that overall, since Congress established its program to transfer military hardware, local and state police departments have received $4.3 billion worth of equipment. Now that's a problem right there. That was one of those things that Congress passed that you didn't know anything about. While you were watching American Idol and playing around in Disney World and churches were building their life centers, Congress established a law whereby they could transfer military hardware, military hardware, military hardware. They were able to transfer it to your local police department. The report goes on and says, accordingly, the value of military equipment used by these police agencies has increased from $1 million in 1990 
to $324 million in 1995 to nearly $450 million in 2013. Now, when police departments get this much equipment and this much money, it is inevitable that they're going to use it. And we see this already in the intense use of SWAT teams throughout the United States of America. For instance, in 1980, there were approximately 3,000 SWAT raids in the United States, 3,000 for the entire country. Now there are more than 80,000 SWAT raids per year. 80,000 per year. 79% of the time, SWAT teams are deployed to private homes. Only 7% of all SWAT deployments are for hostage, barricade, or active shooter scenarios, which was their original intent. Even small towns are getting SWAT teams now. 30 years ago, only 25% of communities with populations between 25,000 and 50,000 people had a SWAT team. Now that number has increased to 80%. To 80%. Now what I'm saying is, is that not only is there a problem with the black culture, But this issue is going to be used to usher in more and more and more governmental power. And as much as I disdain and distaste and find despicable the violent violent riots of the black community, I find even more despicable the power grabs of our police and our government. That's going to be the real danger. Now as Christians, we have to be aware of these things. I mean, we're too worried about sipping our coffees in some coffee house somewhere. We're too worried about being Christian hipsters and Christian concert goers and and, and all this kind of stuff while the world around us is burning down. We better get about the gospel work. We better get about preparing ourselves and hardening ourselves. We better start walking with the Lord a little bit because I said just a moment ago, as I said just a moment ago, a storm is coming. A storm is coming. And whether it be the economy, or race, or whatever the tool and means is, there is a storm coming. And I hope the rapture takes place before we have to face any of these issues, but I doubt that it will. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And I won't doubt, I won't doubt if American Christians, due to her blessings, and due to the grace and the benefits that she has received, I wouldn't doubt a bit if we face judgment from God in this life. Walk with God and walk with Him today. It's the most important thing you can do.